Chapter 15 Jesus the Word Sent by the Father To express the mission that our Lord Jesus Christ came to accomplish on earth, the Gospel uses several terms. Our Lord says that He is sent by His Father, John 12, 49. He also says that He has gone forth from His Father. For from God I proceeded and came, John 8, 42. These terms, come, go, be sent, signify the same mission which, as St. Thomas Aquinas explains, supposes an eternal procession in God. The word can be sent by the Father because he proceeds from him. His temporal mission is rooted in his eternal procession. In the affirmation of his mission and that of the Holy Ghost, our Lord affirms his divinity. This affirmation is based on the fact that he is engendered by his Father. To accept the mission of Jesus in the full sense of the word is to believe in the mystery of his person, his divine sonship, his incarnation, his role of Savior. We understand that by this affirmation our Lord expresses the central mystery of the Catholic faith. The words of our Lord found in the Gospel of St. John sum up, in a way, the faith. For the Father himself loveth you, because you have loved me, and have believed that I came out from God. I came forth from the Father, and am come into the world. John 16, 27-28 and, and they have known in very deed that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. John 17, 8. The Word proceeds from the Father eternally, and He has come into the world. He was sent. The chief merit of the apostles was to have believed this, and because of this belief, they were assured of having their prayers answered and the Father's protection. In the course of his words to the apostles on the night of his passion, the Son prays to the Father to grant his church unity, sign of his divinity, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Belief in the mission of our Lord means also belief in his divinity, and belief in his divinity, belief in the Holy Trinity, and this encompasses in a certain way the whole Catholic faith. Thus, by meditating on the mission of Christ, we gain a deeper understanding of the mystery of his person. We grasp more clearly how he presents his relations with the Father. It is necessary to point out a significant philological usage. The verbs expressing the relations of the Son to his Father are sometimes in the present tense and sometimes in the past tense. Why? In general, it seems that the verbs in the present tense show the imminent relationship of Father and Son, that is, His eternal procession, whereas the verbs in the past tense either refer to the origin of His imminence or else recall the Incarnation and its effects. One might say also, as time does not exist for God, our Lord can use either past or present to express the relations between Him and the Father in order to make Himself better understood by those to whom He is speaking, who live in time. It is very difficult for us to understand how this eternal present relates to creation in time and relations in time. 
as we read in St. John, And no man hath ascended into heaven, but he that descended from heaven, the Son of Man who is in heaven. John 3.13 No one can speak of God if he has not seen him, which supposes, then, an ascent into heaven. Only the Son of Man knows God, because he came down from heaven, and he is always in heaven, being one person with the Eternal Son, who never leaves the Father. That is why it is possible to say, Jesus Christus eri odie ipse et in saecula, Jesus Christ yesterday and today, and the same forever. Hebrews 13.8 Because he sums up all time by his person, which is divine. St. John also says, Not that any man hath seen the Father, but he who is of God, he hath seen the Father. The Jews understood quite well that the divinity of our Lord was being affirmed when he said, Before Abraham was made, I am. John 8:58. These are sentences that could not have been made up. Only God could have uttered them. In his Gospel, St. John writes that the Jews took up stones to stone him because he was claiming to be God. The Jews understood immediately what was meant by this use of the present tense. When Moses had asked God what he should say to the Jews if they asked him who had sent him, what his name was, God answered, I am who am. Exodus 3, 14-15 God is He who is eternally. The Jews dared not even pronounce the word Yahweh. They wrote Jehovah and said aloud Adonai, because the name of God was too holy to pronounce. The name of this being who is and who remains forever seemed to them too sublime for them to even pronounce it. That is why when our Lord said that He Himself was Yahweh, that He is who is, the Jews immediately prepared to stone Him to death. Most certainly they understood what He meant to say. The perfect unity of the Father and the Son is an abiding reality belonging to the present moment. St. John expresses it thus, Ego et pater unum sumus. I and the Father are one. John 10.30 One is used in the neuter, expressing the unity, not of the persons, but of the indivisible divine nature. This is what our Lord says elsewhere in one of these affirmations that it pleases Him to make, and which not even a very highly elevated soul enjoying divine favors would dare to employ. The Father is in me, and I in the Father. John 10.38 Only the Son, forever imminent in the Father, could utilize such language and say, I am not alone, because the Father is with me. John 16.32 All these considerations set us before a great mystery. The more we study our Lord and His attributes, the more we advance into an unfathomable mystery.